these guys are just waiting for us to, you know, clear this little small room and go into the next one. So I'm like, I'm gonna go outside, get the platoon ready, get them up and get ready to move. And sure enough, I take a small step. I didn't know it was an explosion. I didn't know what had happened. But I do remember time slowing down really, really slow. I can remember just floating in the air, like time had gone to like fractal moments. It was like one 1,000, two 1,000, three 1,000. And as soon as I land, it's like time went right back to, to as we know it now. I think that I'm okay. I just, it felt like I had just gotten the wind knocked out of me. So I try to stand back up. The medic is running over to me. And he's like, just stay down. Just stay down. Don't worry about getting up. And sure enough, I see the medic reach for his shoulder pocket, reaches for the tourniquet and goes to unravel it. He's going not to my arms or anything like that, but he's going down below my waist, below my knees. I didn't even think to look down that way. I never anticipated that it would be me, that my souls would be saving. I thought it would be me saving them or them saving them. I'm Carrie Varuhaikis and welcome to the new Army Matters. If you're a regular listener to the show, you might have already noticed that some things are different and that we've made a few changes. First off, there's me. As one of Army Matters senior producers, I'll be greeting you at the beginning of every episode to share with you a little about what you're going to hear. Change. It can be thrilling, but let me tell you about the one change that sparked my interest in the Army and eventually led me to AUSA. Back in the fall of 2013, I was living in South Carolina with my husband, Myron, and our nine-month-old son. Myron and I both worked at the University of South Carolina, and one sunny day when we were pushing the stroller on the Riverwalk, he told me the absolute last thing I thought I'd hear, that he had just been assigned on a mission to go to Afghanistan, and that he'd be leaving in about a month. I was stunned. This was not part of the plan, our plan. We were enjoying living our academic lives, and suddenly we were going to be an Army family. We were lucky, though. We got connected with the local National Guard Family Readiness Group, and they included me in their support network. Also, that time in Afghanistan is what set us up to eventually come to the D.C. area, me to AUSA, and to you today. And we love it here. There are going to be other podcast changes you'll notice moving forward. One key thing is our release schedule will switch from weekly to every other Monday. Why? We're working to bring up the quality of every episode to make them entertaining and memorable. To that end, we've added two experts, a Pulitzer Prize-winning writer and a noted supervising sound editor to our production team. Today, the team showcases United States Army Master Sergeant Retired, Cedric King, whose life changed completely when on July 25th, 2012, he stepped on an IED and lost his legs. But as you'll hear, he didn't give up and is now a triathlete, motivational speaker, Purple Heart recipient, and a really cool guy. It's stories like these that we'll be focusing on in this new Army Matters. 
So after a word from today's sponsor, we'll dive right into our show. Enjoy. Today's episode of Army Matters is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Honeywell Aerospace, a leading provider of advanced technologies and innovative solutions for defense customers around the globe. Together, we are shaping the future of defense and space. Hello, everyone. I'm Colonel Retired Scott Halstead, and welcome to this episode of Army Matters. Our guest today is Master Sergeant Retired Cedric King. Cedric was grievously wounded on July 25, 2012, in Kandahar Province in southern Afghanistan. An improvised explosive device, or IED, caused the disfigurement of Cedric's right hand and the loss of both legs. In an instant, Cedric's mission changed from leading a platoon of paratroopers to an entirely different role. Cedric was an inspirational leader, expert team builder, and role model for me and countless soldiers before his injuries. Today, he stands taller and stronger and remains one of my personal heroes and a testament to the power of resilience, faith, and unyielding optimism. He is nationally recognized as a speaker, author, and leader. And in his free time, Cedric continues to run marathons and triathlons with prosthetic legs. Cedric, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, sir. I know that we're supposed to be Scott and Cedric, but I'm working on calling you Scott for the next hour. I'm so excited to to have this conversation with you. Like I said, I I have so much respect for you, and that respect goes back about 12 years from the first time we served together at Fort Benning through our time at Fort Bragg and, and during our deployment to Afghanistan. I do want to take our listeners back a little bit because I think you're the start of your army journey is so important. So you enlisted in 1995. Why the army? What made you interested in enlisting and serving? That's a great question. For me, it had everything to do with me not thinking that I was smart enough to go to college. Uh, and I know this this might sound crazy for listeners that are listening in, but I I just didn't think that I was the same kind of cut as all those other smart kids in school. I'm from a really, really small town in North Carolina. And when you're in a smaller town, typically the the size of people that go to college is also smaller. So you have maybe about 10 or 20 kids going to universities. Uh, they're going to the Dukes, the NC States, the Chapel Hills, the Wake Forests, the Elon Colleges. These kids are going on to do great things. And for me, I just didn't think that I was smart enough. I wasn't as smart as those. I wasn't getting good grades. And because I was uh, an only child and my mom was raising me as a single parent, the last thing that I wanted to do was go and her try and put me through school and waste her money that was already strapped. She would have had to take out several loans to send me to college. And I would not allow myself to waste the small money that we had. So I, I said to myself, if I'm going to go to college one day, I'll do it on my own. The Army will pay for me to go to school. And that's what I did. I went in the Army. The Army let me know that I was intelligent enough to do anything I wanted to do in my life. I remember the first day after I got to Fort Bragg where a sergeant told me these four things that I needed to be able to do to be successful in life. He said, if you're at the right place, the right time, the right uniform, and the right attitude, you will excel no matter where you go. Right. 
it kind of put things in perspective that I didn't need to necessarily be the, the smartest kid in the class. And I didn't need to know how to, to understand the Pythagorean theorem and put it into practice every day. Cedric, like you, I started my Army journey at Fort Bragg in the 82nd Airborne Division, and it defined who I am to this day. What were your first impressions there, and did you like it? Fort Bragg is probably one of the toughest places that you can go to in the military, and usually either you love it or you hate it. And for me, I loved it from the moment I got there. These dudes were doing PT every morning. These guys were running hard. Right after PT, you would go to the chow hall and be great food there. And then maybe it seemed like 20 or 30 minutes later, these guys were like in pristine uniforms with boots that looked like mirrors. And their haircuts were always good. And they spoke with authority. They were like superheroes. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. It's, that was what brag. In the mid-90s, I was just so fortunate to be there to grow up with guys by the name of Command Sergeant Major Stephen England and, and Command Sergeant Major Cuffey and, and now, now Secretary of Defense, uh, Colonel Austin, Lloyd Austin. These guys are legends back then, and I get a chance to be around them every day. You can't help but go in the right direction. Cedric, you're absolutely right. That place has incredibly high standards and esprit de corps. And I love the way that people always challenge each other to make them better. But it brings us all together. You know, I'm still close with eight or nine members of my original platoon from the early 90s. We still talk to each other, encourage each other. And although Fort Bragg's a tough place, it forges these friendships that really last a lifetime. Do you remember uh, All-American Week? This is our division's week to basically come back together and the young soldiers can learn about the history. The older soldiers, they can come back and replenish and talk to the young soldiers. We celebrate this entire week, and sometimes there's a change of command. Every single year, there is something called a pass and review. Typically, there are rehearsals that go on during this week. And this was the first time I had ever seen People fix bayonets onto their weapons, and there were people that would lock their legs. A lot of people don't know you got to do these ceremonies for hours, but if you don't wiggle your legs, if you don't move around, and it's already hot outside, it's May in North Carolina, you could dehydrate, you could pass out and possibly fall back and cut somebody's pants leg open, stab somebody but somebody's getting carried to the back. Sure enough, you would think that people would be like, wait, stop everything. That's probably what they would do today, not the 82nd. The 82nd has people in the back ready to bring forward because they know people will pass out. Somebody passes out, they get dragged to the back, somebody else gets put in. This is the type of atmosphere that lets you know that you're in somewhere different. You can quit. You can quit involuntarily. The machine will continue to operate. It will. So I'm smiling because I was in first parade and you were way in the back of the formation with the aviation brigade. So my unit was the first one off the parade field. And you guys were out there standing in the position of attention in the sun 
miserable for a long time while we were turning in weapons and getting ready to go on to our next mission. So, yeah, those are great memories of All-American Week. So, Cedric, after Fort Bragg, you decided to go to Ranger School. You know, what really got you interested in tackling that challenge? There's this mini mall at Fort Bragg back in the 90s. This is mini mall. And inside the mini mall, there was something that we all call in the military clothing and sales. This is where you buy all your military uniforms, your T-shirt, your socks. This is where you get your boots at. But they would have this small little little book section and it had this Airborne Ranger book. So I'm looking at this book and I'm like, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to get it. And I'm going to start reading it. As soon as I open the thing up and I'm starting to read it, I see this amazing creed. And it just spoke to me. Wow, this is a different philosophy than everybody here in this office lives by. This is what I want to be. I want to do something elite like this. Now, the rest of the Ranger Handbook, I didn't understand anything. I didn't understand priorities of work, <laughs> security, <laughs> uh, child, 25% security. I didn't know what the thing was talking about. But that creed spoke to me from the outside. I would hear these guys um, get ready to go to pre-Ranger in the Aviation Brigade, and they were yelling the creed from their memory, from their memory. And I was like, what? They know the whole thing? It made me want to go and, and find out even more. And once I found out exactly what you had to do and the standards that you had to uphold, I was like, all right, I'm re-enlisting. I'm going ranging. That was it. I, I went into the recruiter. I want that, right? I want to go ranging. And keep in mind, this is an aviation unit. They're like, are you crazy? <laughs> right. We've never heard that before. No, you got a great ASVAB score. Just go go do something like a medical repair or go to do something in the medical field. Go do something that's going to help you make a lot of money after you get out of the military. I just, it wasn't about money. I had to go and be a part of this. So- you and I, we've known each other a long time, Cedric, and we talked a little bit about your ranger school journey, which is pretty common, but I think you came out of with it with a, a different level of maturity, a different perspective than most ranger students. So what was it like when you, when you finally pinned on that black and gold ranger tab? I mean, how'd you look at yourself? This is going to sound very arrogant. The moment I pinned on the ranger tab, the only thing I really, really wanted to do was get to Ranger Joe's and sew it on. The moment I sewed it on, it was like I was the same person. Nothing really changed. The only thing that really changed was how other people saw me. The expectation that I had on myself was the exact same. No one's going to be harder on me than, than I am. But everyone else looked at me different. Right. Two months earlier, I was the same guy that you that you needed uh, a, someone else's opinion. Two months later, I come back and now I'm automatically the subject matter expert on everything. <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> like what's going on in the Middle East? Ask the ranger. He probably know. I think no matter what your background, I don't think most people really know themselves. They don't know how how sorry and selfish they can be when they're cold, wet, tired, and hungry. But more importantly, they don't know how great they can be. When the platoon is done, they're exhausted, 
Ranger King may be the only person that patrol that picks up, you know, those 30 to 40 other Ranger buddies and leads them on to the objective to accomplish the mission. And it's important that our leaders know that about themselves and each other in training. We're going to take a quick break right now, but we'll be right back with Master Sergeant Cedric King and his amazing story of resilience. Hey, everyone. We hope you're enjoying the show. Don't forget, check out our presenting sponsor, Honeywell Aerospace, a leading provider of advanced technologies and innovative solutions for defense customers around the globe. Together, we are shaping the future of defense and space. We're back and speaking with Master Sergeant Retired Cedric King. Now, Cedric, on July 25th, 2012, your life changed while you were conducting a reconnaissance patrol in a small Afghan village. Can you walk us through what happened that day? I can remember that day so clearly. There was a small little town, uh, this little village uh, that was kind of close to where we were, we were operating out of. There have been a couple platoons to go to this village and get banged up really bad. Every platoon, I believe, had lost either an arm, a leg, eyesight of some sort. And when we were going to go there, it was actually going to be not to fight. We're just doing a reconnaissance. It was going to be like a quick recon. We go into this, this little village and we're at this little building and we're doing like the little search of this building. It's very small, very small. But when we get in there, it's just going to be like a routine, routine job and go to the next building. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, the platoon on the outer perimeter, the platoon, I have them set up in security. And these guys are just waiting for us to, you know, clear this little small room and go into the next one. So I'm like, I'm going to go outside, get the platoon ready, get them up and get ready to move. And sure enough, I take a small step. I didn't know it was an explosion. I didn't know what had happened. But I do remember time slowing down really, really slow. I can remember just floating in the air, like time had gone to like fractal moments. It was like one, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand. And I end up landing. And as soon as I land, it's like time went right back to, to as we know it now, you know, felt like I had just gotten the wind knocked out of me. So I try to stand back up. But the medic, the medic is running over to me. And he's like, just stay down. Don't worry about getting up. And sure enough, I see the medic reach for his shoulder pocket, reaches for the tourniquet and goes to unravel it. He's going not to my arms or anything like that, but he's going down below my waist, below my knees. And I look down and instead of there being brown sand, it's pink sand everywhere. And it's blood everywhere. It's extremely, extremely hot. It felt like I had pieces of an iron, like all over my chest and in my legs, very hot. But this is the crazy thing about training. What you've been trying to do kicks in automatically. So I am incapacitated on my back. There's shrapnel in me in all places of my body, but this is what kicks in. <laughs> hey, get security on <laughs> Get the security there. Hey, call in the nine line. Hey, get the nine line in. You're on the right frequency. Yep, get them in. Get dust off. Uh, call the first five lines. It's crazy. This is the. This is one of the greatest things that I hope you can take away from this. It's training. 
will make the difficult moments routine. If there's a leader that's out there that's on the fence on why you got to train so hard, it's for these moments so that it's reflex. Your body knows what to do even more than your brain does. It's just you got to continue to do this. And we had practice. I was one of those leaders from the old school that we could just be sitting around eating chow. And I'm like, hey. Hey, you got a second chest wound, go. This is what leaders did to me, and this is what I passed on to my soldiers. So when I did, I never anticipated that it would be me that they would be saving. I thought it would be me saving them or them saving them. So Cedric, I've known you a long time, and the heroic actions of your medic that day he was just following your example. He was doing what you taught him to do. He was living up to your expectations as his platoon sergeant. Yeah, I wish I could take the credit for that, but those soldiers so well-trained, they already knew what to do. I find it hard to take credit sometimes for some of the things that they would have done, whether I was there or not. So you're seriously wounded, and your medic is doing what he can to, to really save your life. What happened next? This is the toughest assignment in my life. I don't even really remember it much after I get to Kandahar Army Airfield. I do remember landing in Kandahar, and I do remember them putting like this mask over my face. Right. And I'm just, I, I, I slip into this coma. I don't remember General Huggins and Sergeant Major Lambert coming. I saw they had stopped by because I do have my Purple Heart. And I do have my Bronze Star. But I don't remember any of that. I'm in a coma from essentially the 25th of July until maybe the 1st or 2nd of August. And I wake up in a hospital room. Now, keep in mind, you come out of a coma, the last thing that you remember is the last memory. So maybe it seems like Maybe only 10 minutes has, has passed by. In actuality, it's been a week, right? So I come out of a coma and my mom and my wife are at the edge of the bed. So it feels like they've actually come to Kandahar. Right. This is the nicest room that I've ever seen in Kandahar. Well, my wife explains to me, she's like, okay, all right, look, you're actually in Maryland. And it totally, it totally makes me feel like that I am AWOL somewhere. I am somewhere where I'm not supposed to be. I want to get back to, to my guys. I don't belong here. I, I need to be back there. And this is what a lot of civilians may not understand. But usually in a battlefield experience, the soldiers find true meaning there. Their purpose is there and it's so much more pronounced in a war zone than it is in peacetime, which is why you see guys and gals get addicted to going back to war again and again. It's probably because the first time in their life, what they do actually changes the day. People live, people die because of what I do or do not do. I feel important when I'm there. So for me being in a hospital bed, I want to hurry up and get back to where my purpose was. Yeah. And sure enough, uh, my wife tells me that, you know, what has happened. Um, 
And I'm not a very emotional guy, but at that moment, I broke down in sobs that probably lasted for hours. Because I felt like that I was no longer Sergeant King anymore. I was no longer the leader. I felt like everything had been taken away from me. And this is an important lesson that I had to learn. Do not get so close to your position to when your position is taken away that you feel like a part of you is taken away. That is something that I would caution every single leader listening. Make sure you understand that your position is important. It's important. But don't let it get so close to who you are, your own identity of yourself. Cedric, honestly, I can't begin to imagine how hard it must have been for you at that point. So you went from being a senior army leader to a long-term patient at Walter Reed. What were your next steps and, and what did you learn about yourself throughout your healing process? You think that learning to walk would be easy because you'd walked for the past 34 years. So you just pick up and you walk in. No, that had a lot to do with failure, failing again and again. And this is me giving it my very, very best effort in it not measuring up. Right. This is me being in total muscle failure and giving my all and all just to take one step and then crashing in front of everybody, being embarrassed by laying on the floor. This is me giving everything I got and it's still not being enough, which why I think Ranger School was so important because Ranger School, it was that way every day. So much of my recovery at Walter Reed, so much of the lessons that I teach today, and so much of what I went through in Ranger School are all connected. Right. In Ranger School, you can do a patrol perfectly, and one thing go wrong, and everybody is getting a no-go. The same way, learning to walk, learning to recover. There's no guarantees that the medicine that they were going to prescribe is going to work this day or that day. There are going to be long days of you sitting in a hospital bed being patient. You're going to cut on Facebook and you're going to see all your buddies redeploying and you feeling like that you're not a part of that. Learning how to deal with that, being patient and knowing and believing that it's going to happen. Tomorrow is going to be better than today. Your job is not to sit there and wait on tomorrow, but your job is to sit there and believe and be patient and work on what you can right now so that tomorrow can be exactly the way you dreamed it would be. Yeah. And part of the rehab was helping other people's rehab too. You would think that rehab every, had everything to do with you and your body and your family. You getting better has a lot to do with how you help others get better. Lloyd Austin would come by and he would bring President Obama sometimes or he would bring Vice President Biden, now President Biden at the time, he would come by and he'd bring these VIPs to the hospital. And they would be so blown away by our optimism. But it really wasn't that. It was actually me forging my own optimism by helping others be optimistic in their situation. Yeah. You can really pull yourself out of some very low times if you help other people get through some of their low times. Cedric, we had 38 soldiers from our brigade lose limbs during that 2012 deployment. And I've talked to several of our wounded warriors, especially when we brought them down from Walter Reed back to Fort Bragg 
And many of those paratroopers told me that you were an incredible role model for them at Walter Reed. And that's just who you are. I mean, whether you're a platoon sergeant or whether you're, you know, healing at Walter Reed, you're going through really tough times, but you've always been an inspiration for all of us around you. I, I can remember learning to walk. I would stand up. I would take two steps, fall down just to get to the end of the room. I would fall down six or seven times. And when you get there, they tell you, come back again. So you're signing up to hit the deck again and again and again and again to where you are just so defeated when you are meeting failure. It doesn't matter if you're trying to lose weight. It doesn't matter if you're trying to stop drinking, trying to kick a habit, whatever the case may be, you getting back up again and again and again is undefeated. Yeah. You cannot be defeated as long as you get back on your feet. No pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> For me, getting back up again and again and again, it was not me versus learning to walk. It was me versus the part of me that wants to tap out and sit in the wheelchair forever. It's me versus the part of me that wants an easier life. Right. And as long as I'm continuing to lean forward against that path of least resistance, I'll win. Cedric, I, I love the fact earlier in our discussion, you talked about, you know, as a high school kid, how you lack confidence to do certain things. You're not surviving right now. You're thriving so you, you've earned your degree, you're running marathons, you're competing in triathlons, you're inspiring people. What, what are you most proud of in terms of where you are now, 10 years after this injury? This might sound kind of corny, but the thing that I'm most proud of, most thankful for the mindset that this injury has given me, it's almost like the best gift in the world. It's, it's not what you get in one moment. Right. It's the gratitude from the journey. The greatest part of the marathon isn't the medal that's hanging on your chest. It's the journey that was the gift. It's starting in, in Boston, Hopkinton, and going to, to the finish line in Boston. Just knowing that, just knowing that there is a gear on the inside of me that can get me past wherever I need to go, no matter how dark days get, I have my leg right now splinted up right now because of the 19 miler from Saturday. I know that this Saturday I got a 15 miler to go, but there is a gear on the inside of me that says I will rise to the challenge and I don't have to tap out. I have goosebumps. I could listen to you all day, but I think this is the perfect spot to end our interview. Cedric, thank you so much for coming on to the show and really inspiring us with your story. I just want to thank you for this amazing opportunity. And I truly appreciate this opportunity to share with my Army family. And hopefully when we get back together, maybe you'll have this podcast at the conference one day and we can sit down and chop it up. Cedric, I appreciate you. I mean, you are the epitome of the Ranger Creed. And my favorite line from that is, surrender is not a ranger word. That's you. You will never surrender. You'll never quit. And you'll keep building and leading. And I'll follow you anywhere. 
thank you so much for joining the podcast. To all our listeners, thanks for joining us. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Honeywell Aerospace, a leading provider of advanced technologies and innovative solutions for defense customers around the globe. Together, we are shaping the future of defense and space. Army Matters is brought to you by the Association of the United States Army, the U.S. Army's professional association, member-supported, Army-connected. Visit us at AUSA.org for more information or to become a member. Your membership helps AUSA continue to carry out its mission, educate, inform, and connect with the total Army, our industry partners, and supporters of a strong national defense. Today's episode was hosted by Colonel Retired Scott Halstead and anchor hosted by Carol Biohekis. The producer and writer is Anthony Dale Call and supervising sound editor is Andy Bosnack. Unzinga Curry is executive producer and the senior producers are Carol Biohekis and LaSharon Duncan. Special thanks to Angela King, Angela Pubel, and Michelle Cabotaje for their help. Be sure to subscribe to Army Matters wherever you get your podcasts, and please leave a review. As you know, we love seeing stars in the Army, especially if it comes in the form of a five-star review. For questions or to provide topic recommendations, email us at podcast at AUSA.org. I'm Will Sharon Duncan. Hope you have a great Army day. Hooah.